in a podcast where two people talk to their co-founder of their theme song about forging their own path and combating climate change, the challenges and joys of returning home, value systems, and if they're making a comeback, and lots of funny anecdotes, including one about a hedgehog. Today on the podcast, we speak with our wonderful friend, Wes, been chasing Wes around the world, trying to get him on the podcast, and we happened to meet up in the Gili Islands in Indonesia. Uh, It was a wonderful way to find each other, and we recorded this on the beach in paradise. It was pretty fucking cool. Um, Wes, as Trevor mentioned, uh, created the melody for our theme song, so he is pretty infamous in the occasionally interesting world, and we appreciate him. In addition to Jason, who who put our theme song entirely together and created the rest of it. So Wes works with an organization in Thailand called Conserve Natural Forests, and he uh, does a lot to both actively do reforestation, but is mostly in charge of the educational outreach of teaching people about reforestation, carbon neutrality, uh, ways to reduce your carbon footprint. And one of the main attractions into getting people to learn about reforestation is that they also do elephant rehabilitation. Uh, So we went and heard Wes's whole talk and uh, got to meet his elephant pal, Kami. Uh, and it was fantastic. And you can find their website link on our website. So go there and donate, especially after you hear about the impact that even a relatively small donation can have later on. You'll be shocked and be entirely motivated to go there and donate yourself. So this podcast is a little bit long, but when they're long ones, it's because they're so good, guys. Like It's because we couldn't get enough of the conversation. And... It's it's always it's so worth it to to stay tuned and hear every little last drop of goodness that Wes is going to share with you. It you gotta suck the marrow out of the conversation. Absolutely. And this is one delicious lip smacking conversation. <laughs> Just like that. So we talk a lot about um climate change, environmental action, and I think we definitely are putting an inspiring spin on it, a lot about individual action and, and you know, that sometimes it might feel challenging, but it's really so easy if you just focus on one step at a time, putting one foot in front of the other and, and trusting that there are other people doing the same. And I really, I really enjoyed his, his take on all of that because it's very closely aligned with my own. Uh, all of Wes's siblings and all of Trevor's siblings should definitely stay tuned for this podcast because you guys get real sweet on them. It's very nice that you talk about how wonderful your families are and uh, it's really sweet. And uh, I really love this conversation with Wes and just enjoy Wes in general probably because <laughs> it's a reflection of myself. He does so many quotes in this podcast and I was just like, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I try... I guess to to not do as many quotes as I naturally want want to do in a conversation because I worry about I don't know taking up space with them or something. But uh, Wes does so many awesome quotes and references, and uh, probably like none of you ever go to our website, but <laughs> you should because you should shop with us on Amazon. But also, 
uh, I do a lot of extra work into creating a post for each episode where you can find everything that we reference. So like any books that are referenced, referenced quotes, websites, other podcasts, etc. Um, so there's going to be a lot for this episode. So you should go check it out on our website, occasionallyinteresting.com. I like that he went out of his way to be friendly and welcoming to us and, and to, you know, I would consider his, his space and, and the jazz house. He's part of that jazz house crew and, you know, we're sort of on the periphery and he's totally like, God, these are these new people that I haven't met yet. Let's come on in. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that. It's very nice. I always appreciate when people are considerate and he did it in such a genuine way. Um, you can really tell he's a, a just a genuinely nice individual and a pleasure to be around. And Apparently, unless he hasn't had coffee yet, which I can relate. I can relate. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I like that he not only cares about the environment, but is actively doing something to make a difference. I think that that speaks to his value system and. And how virtuous he is because he's not only, you know, has this value system, but he's actively working and engaging in action based upon it, which, you know, I think is is not common enough in this day and age. I feel it. Wes is just like the ideal combination of friendly, real uh able to banter and not take himself so seriously that you can that you're comfortable receiving the more serious messages from him he's just he's a delight to interact with and he's a delight to listen to it's a really good sign when i have a lot of fun and i laugh out loud editing the podcast like that's how you know it's going to be a fantastic episode when i'm like this is a delight to go through the you know moment by moment of like equalizing volume levels and it's still enjoyable to listen to that's like you should definitely stay tuned um okay let's give a brief our life update we are back in Chiang Mai after our vacation in Indonesia Gilly was cool uh we experienced an earthquake oh yeah forgot (laughs) That was crazy. This was anytime Trevor and I go on like vacation, there's an earthquake. <laughs> I don't know. I think it follows us. Yeah, we. Uh... I think the funniest part of the story was how the day before we had visited Gilly Air, which is uh, the smaller cousin of Gilly Twangen, which we've heard this this amazing vacation destination that's luxurious, and, like specifically and, a honeymoon destination. Yeah, so you expect a certain. Uh, quality quality and you get there and it looks like a fucking shit storm <laughs> like like there had just been some crazy natural disaster so we're like maybe there was some crazy natural disaster. so we google it and sure enough there had been an earthquake back in august so less than six months yeah um around that. and you know and that was like the the most recent in a series of really terrible oh wait that's more than six months isn't it (laughs) whatever around six around six months 
And that was, you know, the the icing on the cake after, you know, the tsunamis that were, you know, a couple of years ago now, I believe, right? Mm. That was that was longer There's, ago. Well, was, so Trevor got into this research of like, okay, did, was there recently a natural disaster? And then he was just reading through a list of every natural disaster that had occurred in the area within the last, whatever, 10 years. Yeah. So yeah, it's also relevant to this co- conversation of climate change. But uh Yes. But so I was like, holy, sh- holy smokes, like we just decided to vacation where there were been recently like very recently all these terrible natural disasters that were i mean that left gilly air in, in what i would call ruins i mean there was just the rebuilding it's getting nicer but you could tell that it was and then the day after i've been reading about all these really scary events our hotel just starts trembling and, and of course after reading that it's like what the hell is about to happen like is there going to be a tsunami is this earthquake going to get bad enough for the roof to collapse and then we both looked at each other like what the hell do we do so we ran outside next to the pool <laughs> and then the local guy who was <laughs> just chilling by the pool started laughing at us like it happens all the time man <laughs> all right cool i don't know if i believe you yet i'm going to stand out where there's nothing to fall on me but as always, thank you for being the most wonderful adventure partner in the entire universe. It was so fun exploring new lands with you and going on new adventures and uh, doing some podcasts. And woohoo! Woohoo! And without further ado, Wes. Occasionally interesting. Occasionally interesting. They are occasionally interesting. Sound check is good. This is smooth sounds in the 70s. Ooh, yeah. Wow, that's mm. good. Have you been a DJ? I'm so excited to interrogate you today, and I've been trying to hold off on my normal, like, human interaction level of questions of what I meet people because I've wanted to wait and get it all. On the recording, uh, but yeah, you have just let so many tiny things drop casually in the co- in the conversations we've had that you're so incredibly interesting, and you're so young, and you've had all these jobs and lived in all of these places, and I'm like, how does this all fit together? I'm very I'm very excited to learn how the puzzle pieces of Wes fit together. Today. I'm excited about it too. I can't <laughs> wait. It's been yeah, it, the word interrogate keeps being used. That's uh, yeah. I'm, I'm I love the word interrogate. I mean, this is uh, when people ask why we started a podcast. It's t- twofold, really. Uh, number one is because uh, Trevor's a shy person, and I feel so lucky to get to hear the wonderful inner workings of his mind and it seemed selfish to not share that with the world so i wanted to put a mic to it and he still think he's he's tricked like he thinks he's just talking to me maybe one other person but then the whole Shit. world gets to hear how like, awesome gets he is. yeah don't tell him that tricks <laughs> and then too that i love interrogating people and i mean interrogate i mean like you know it's funny because i was just while you were getting water i was telling him how you try to have like a not an interrogation, you know, conversation. conversation. <laughs> For those yeah. of you listening at home, I'm actually tied to the chair right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm bound. I not mean, gagged, but bound. <laughs> yes, yeah, so a gagged podcast would not go over very well. That's, uh, that would sound terrible. Yeah, a whole other I mean, genre. We want you to interrogate us back, I guess is the thing. No, we like a conversation, but really it's like to be able to have the social permissions to like anybody I meet and I'm intrigued by to be able to ask them any question I want to. This is like, that's all I've ever 
desired. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do it in uh, regular life more than the average person. Certainly, just ask ask the questions that I want to know the answers to, and uh, I guess sometimes people think that's weird. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I found like running around um, how much people will tell you in five minutes talking to them. It's really incredible. You could be like on a ferry between an island somewhere, or you just run into somebody at the you know people running around can often. I think maybe feel a little lonely or feel a little closed off or something. And so if they find anybody who's willing to lend an ear, they'll tell you way more than you want to know <laughs> in five or 10 minutes. It's yeah. incredible actually. Do you feel like that's uh, particular to travelers? Not necessarily. Um, I think that it, the, depending on how people are traveling and especially if they're traveling for a long time, I think that it's something that a lot of travelers bump up against um loneliness you know i think it's a it's an important part i think of running around you know i think one of the things i remember my mom told me about you guys are probably gonna hear me say that a lot something my mom told me <laughs> um about running around is uh learning how to be alone without being lonely you know that was a uh, something that i had to learn and there's really only a, a hard way to learn it i think there's a really easy way to do it yeah um so i think you do bump up against that a lot but you see it at home too you guys were talking a lot i remember in the last podcast with ryan this is my chance to plug your last podcast with ryan. <laughs> thank Please you everybody listening at home go listen to it we appreciate that um but you guys talked a lot about small talk i remember and i imagine you run into a lot of that in the work that you're doing here i remember you were saying trevor i think something about how how do you break past that? How do you get past uh, the shallow sort of surface level conversation that is small talk? But for me, I think it's amazing what people will tell you slip in in small talk. You know, I think it's something that people do just to naturally connect with each other. And um, and they'll, they'll, they'll tell you a lot if you listen, you know, and sort of read between the lines. You know, it's not about asking the tough questions, just saying, how are you today? Where have you been? You know? I don't know. I find it. I find it really interesting. Yeah, we definitely started this podcast largely uh, as an attempt to get away from small talk and ask why small talk happens. And that was coming from a background of us both working in uh, very small talk, heavy jobs. Trevor was a server, and I worked in corporate America, and we were both very frustrated by like the roles that we were forced into by small talk. But since starting this podcast, we've we've asked every single one of our guests why small talk happens. And it's definitely really opened my mind in a different way. Um, a podcast that hasn't been released yet, but it's going to be an awesome one with Matt Bowden. Uh, he, he gave my favorite analogy so far that it's like in fencing, you give an initial few jests in the air just to gauge the other person's reaction and then that's when you can like really begin the actual interaction and i'm like whoa like that that feels very true and not i don't know yeah not not in opposition to being real like that i like that a lot better and small talk is a lot different when traveling than and like meeting new people versus i mean where especially in my job it was I was in the same job for almost two years and seeing the same people every single day and never being able to escape the three question script every single day. And that was unbelievably frustrating for me. But uh yeah, definitely I'm 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 opening my mind and heart to 
smaller introductory talk, but it's important. I think you know, I think small talk has a has merit just in and of itself, and maybe that's being from the south where small talk is very important. You you have to be very fluent in small talk where I'm from, you yeah. know, down in Georgia and South Carolina, and. Uh, and I think it does have a merit. It's, you know, there's there's a, there can be a lot of, like, kindness and just basic respect that can be communicated in small talk. You know, that's, I know a lot, I meet a lot of people, especially, I don't know if I should talk about certain groups of people, but like Northern Europeans are come to mind where they say <laughs> that um, it can make them uncomfortable. You know, like, hey, how are you? How's your day? And that's not a question that they get asked over there very oh, really? often, I don't think. No, uh, it's sort of, I think it can feel invasive. Um, but for me, I think that it's, you know, I remember my partner was asking me like, you know, if somebody says like, how are you in the South? Do they mean it? And it's sort of a double edged thing. Like on the one hand, they don't like, nobody is really expecting to say like, Hey, how's your day? And then say, Oh, it's a nightmare. You know, uh, I don't know. My best friend just died. My dog died. Wife left me. Nobody expects you to say that. They expect you to say, Oh, good. How are you? But if you do say, not that great, actually, then I think typically most people would say, what's going on? You okay? You need something? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and it's nice to be checked in on by strangers every once in a while, I think. Doesn't it kind of suck that there is a, a social obligation to say everything's fine? Like, especially when things aren't fine and <laughs> you're just like, it just sort of brings it out of the surface, but you know that you're not really supposed to burden the other person with your troubles even though in all likelihood it would be perfectly fine and almost even appreciated by that other person to give them the opportunity to be like well, let's talk it out i guess it depends on how much people are willing to share and how much people are willing to listen you know that, that depends on the person but um i don't know i think that also i think there is something to be said about being able to say fine i'm okay you know even if things aren't maybe great at the moment, you know, just to be able to say like, I'm okay. You know, I'm good. Generally, you know, even if like maybe at that moment, no. Um, but it's a nice, I don't know. Can I say the word mantra? Uh, <laughs> we'll allow it. You'll allow it. It'll pass. Uh, it's not a word I use very often, but it's a nice thing to repeat to yourself every, you know, and even if it's being thrust upon you by a bunch of strangers, you know, to say, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, could be worse. Could be better. Could be worse. You know, <laughs> I also like the way that Ryan put it too, with like a ping pong game. You know, you just kind of serve it the other person and see what mm-hmm. bounces back until until you guys get a nice volley going on. I think that was a, a decent analogy. Uh, reminded of of M, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> my manager at a restaurant. And she one of her interview questions was, "What do you consider the difference between hospitality and service?" And hospitality makes somebody feel welcome and at home, and if you're, if you're good at hospitality, you're able to do that very quickly, really like a two-minute interaction with the table. Like, and there's something, you know, you can tell the difference if you've gone out to eat a lot between somebody who you just know just doesn't give a shit and just wants your order versus somebody who wants to have you have a good time. And being good at being able to create that instantaneous connection, I think, is a very valuable skill, which I appreciate spending parts of many years in that industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it can wear on you, too. Yeah. You know, but, it, but that's, that sort of, 
basic, like just between strangers, it's only going to be strangers just passing through each other's lives with a little bit of kindness, I think is a really nice thing. You know, being able to make someone feel welcome, you're right. It's, it's a, it is a skill and it's a really important one, I think. Um, and, you know, I've been, I was a bartender. I have been a bartender for a very long time and worked in the service industry as well. And, um, yeah, I think that it, it can it can wear on you, but I what I imagine to be way more exhausting is if every conversation that you ever have with anybody was incredibly deep and profound and intense. I don't necessarily think that the opposite of small talk is deep, profound, intense. I mean, uh, on the episode with my dad, he gives so many ridiculous examples of his perception of the opposite of small talk, and all of them are like... <laughs> very inappropriate it's either like death or sex or trauma and uh i don't think it's that at all i mean like definitely i think that shooting the shit like i mean is you know the banter and in the ping pong match match that trevor and ryan were talking about like that's not that's not small talk to me and i do think that uh small talk with strangers is a lot different than small talk with familiars that's true. i think there's different levels of small talk there's the initial hey how's it going how's your day great you know the elevator oh the weather's sunny out there like thanks we both just came from outside great and then there's the sort of next level small talk where it's more of a ping pong match more of, you're not just mm-hmm. filling this void because it's uncomfortable you're trying to engage somebody in an actual conversation i think there's a, a distinction that probably should be made there between hi hi we're people that are standing in proximity to one another and mm-hmm. have made eye contact versus I'd like to get to know you more, hit the ball back. Sure. Yeah, I think there's a place for all those, you know. I think that, you know, when two people are just standing next to each other and make eye contact and they just express some kind of acknowledgement of the other person's presence and uh, and even like just a very, even if it's the smallest reaching out, like, hey, how are you? Or talking about the weather, you know, I think any time spent reaching out even with a little bit of kindness is time well spent see i think this might be a cultural difference between the south and the north of the states as well too whereas like in in philadelphia it's kind of like when somebody especially like on the street like it it can be kind of jarring to have somebody enter your space like that because it's kind of like what do you want out of me a lot of the times at least it depends on where you are and where you are in philly um but it doesn't seem to be the case, especially like we've seen a shift in that while we're traveling as well, where it's not always, what does this person want out of me? It's, wow, they're kind of lonely or, you know, just really want somebody to talk to at the moment. Or way too friendly. Yeah, or way too friendly. Way too friendly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that happens too. Yeah. It makes me miss, you know, I've been running around for a while now and it it makes me really cherish the the close connections that I have with people, people that I've known for a long time, you know, friends that I've had for 10 years or my family. I got a lot of brothers and sisters as well. And how many? Um, I'm one in nine. Holy wow. shit. Yeah. Which one's your favorite? All of them <laughs> equally for so many different reasons. Aww. Do you fall on the line of succession? Sort of in the middle, yeah. I guess. I'm uh, in the fourth. I guess you could also say I'm the oldest of the second generation of kids. Okay, so grouped, older and younger? Sort of, yeah. <laughs> Mom and dad had three and then waited 11 years, 20 wow. years old, had me. And then, yeah. Uh, it's it's a complicated thing. It's spread out over, it's a big family. 
yeah, big complicated family. Um, but I'm lucky to have them. And, you know, it's nice. Uh, I think it's a really beautiful thing. Um, one of my favorite definitions of friendship is um, never having to start a story at the beginning. I you love know. that. I like that. Yeah. I and like I, there's, it's so common when you're running around, you know, every story you have to you have to pick the beginning and it's sort of arbitrary almost yeah. where you choose to start your story you know um but you know there's three questions in hospitality that's also true i think when you're running around it's you know where are you from yeah where are you, where are you coming from where are you going what do you recommend here yeah things like that you know yeah you say that's I've, man i've had that conversation just <laughs> infinite in, times in, innumerable yeah but it is times. the fallback you know you're like yeah so, I too have siblings who are significantly older than me, which I like think was one of the most beneficial things that could have ever happened to me. I have two sisters that are ten, about ten years older than me, and they were this sort of like pseudo parental figure. Like they were old enough to be siblings still, but also have like an authority role. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they also happen to be like amazing human beings, and it was just. It, I wish everybody could have had that experience, of, like getting to have this person that you could have feel like was a guardian to keep you safe, but also somebody that you could confide in. Did you have a similar experience being that age different? Or definitely, yeah. I mean, Christina, Melissa, Rick, if y'all listening, um, I love y'all so much. And I'm so thankful for everything that they've given to me, and um, and how much they've guided me and protected me and pointed me in the right direction and been there for the hard conversations that I needed to have things that are harder to say to a parent. I'm close with my parents and, um, you know, but that's something that was, has become easier like in the last few years as I've come into my own. Uh, but when I was younger and you're scared about telling your parents something, it's, it's, it's a really amazing thing to have an older sibling, uh, who can have the hard conversations with you and, and guide you on it. Yeah. Um, and that's something that, you know, like girlfriend, for example, had to learn too. She sort of had to meet three moms in a way, you know, <laughs> she had a, it, it's, it's quite a gauntlet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also have a, a brother a year older than me and talking about like not even start conversations or stories in like the beginning. And it's like one of the things I love about having conversations with him is we come like, especially, like, with political conversations, I feel like in order for me to be really understood, there's a lot of defining of terms and terminology to be truly, like, because I'm making a very specific point a lot of the times. And with him, the conversation can just flow since we come from such a same understanding of our positions that we can, like, sort of explore these dif- different facets of a argument in a way that it's difficult for me to do with other people because there's so much back filling in that we to have that same conversation with somebody else and it's it's one of the things that is traveling hard it's not going to see those people that you have those conversations with sure it's really made me appreciate it a lot more too i think yeah it's made me very grateful for it it's interesting because in some ways it feels like nothing's changed you know you go home and i remember when i first went home i went home for a few months after spending a couple years in new zealand and I had this really strange feeling of being homesick while I was home. Oh, yeah. You know, missing 
I think the person that I was when I used to be there, you know, um, cause home hadn't fundamentally changed, but maybe I had, I mm-hmm. guess. And so I had a really hard time coming to terms with that when I first got back. It was a learning experience for me. And, but at the same time, it was also like, you know, I, when I got back, it was so quick to settle into home that I was like, was, was that all a dream? Was those two years that I spent in New Zealand? Did I, did yeah. I dream that? Did I, did I just wake up? Was I in a coma? Um, so yeah, it's a strange balance between the two, I guess. I had a hard time navigating that, but that was the first time that I came home after being gone for my first like sort of long time away, I guess. This is about to be Trevor's first time going home after yeah. a long time away. How long have you been gone? I mean, you left in August. Yeah. So and we're going home in May for a month. For a month. Yeah. A month's a good amount of time. <laughs> Two months is when it starts to feel really weird. Yeah. We're going to be traveling a bunch during that time yeah, as well. It's, it's not it's all going to be in the home area. Uh but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what it is for you. Like if it is if it's because this is like by by a lot your longest period of time away from home, right? Yeah, I mean I suspect it probably. Well, I don't I don't anticipate it being particularly different. No, I mean we'll see. We'll see. I thought it was really interesting when uh, Rainier and Monica Monica talked about. We interviewed these two people who were in. Have you seen Wild Wild Country? No. Have you heard of it? No. Oh, you should definitely check it out. Check it's it like out the o- most award-winningest it's, Netflix documentary it's series. Is this product placement? Are you guys sponsored by Netflix? I, yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> well, hopefully. Uh, Netflix uh, and Scotch Cheap's place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> At Amazon. Check out uh, our link. It's the show about the craziest thing that happened in Oregon, um, where this this guru from India buys like... Rajneesh? Oh, Have you heard of... Or something like that, and decides to make a community. They buy a town they try to buy a county shit pops off it's intense watch it it's great it's fantastic but we found these people in pie at a cacao ceremony that in their late 60s early 70s and he just happened to drop in this like exercise we were doing that he had been at this commune i guess lack of a better word like that word i think it's loaded but uh, (laughs) this communal living thing in oregon that this you know, top-rated Netflix show he had just been obsessed with came and we're like, we have to interview you. One of the things that he said was that after traveling and getting to experience all these different places in the world and really sort of getting a broader view of everything, to come back to where he had grown up was isolating. Yeah, the most way. isolating thing in comparison to travel. Because the- he had changed so much. And the contrast coming back was just a tough, tough to handle. And I've been sort of pondering that, anticipating returning home since then. Yeah, I don't. You don't. At least for me, is like I didn't fit the way that I used to into something that was like a very, very familiar place, and I felt a little bit unfamiliar there in a way. Um, but at the same time, and you know, that being said, the flip side of that is it's it's an. I mean. Being gone for a long time, and I think this it's the same with family, it really makes me so incredibly grateful for a place to call home. That's a word that, you know, I used to um, take for granted, I think. And 
now it's it's I get I get so excited to go back and see my people Aww. every time I go back and never have to start my story at the beginning and just be home. You Do know? you feel that way in Pi as well, though? Yeah, Pi for sure. Um, I remember when I got back to Pi this high season. I'd spent last year. It was all the low season, the rainy season when I was there. Um, you you know you you wonder when you come back like you know who's going to be there or um what's it going to be like and it's just like putting on an old pair of shoes you know yeah. that you've already worn in it's very comfortable coming back i feel really lucky to have a few homes i guess sort of scattered around yeah kaikoura new zealand and uh broom which i'm going back to uh where i put sam yeah. <laughs> sam's, a, sam's a really good friend of mine from pie for those sam listens to the podcast yeah sam if you're listening I can't wait to see you Aww. in a couple of weeks. And it's it's really nice um, to have these places where you're not on vacation. You know, you're not backpacking. Yeah. You're w- with friends. That's totally. a really nice feeling. I like that analogy. I'm worn in a sneaker. <laughs> well said. Cheers. Very well said. I almost feel um, something of the opposite. I was gone from Philadelphia for about 10 years before I came back and came back I never thought I'd go back and my mom kind of like tricked me into it and then uh, <laughs> but we, tricky devil you know. um, but when I got back it was like I was it was a, it was a hard transition I was very depressed at first but there was a lot of parts of it where it was like oh my god I didn't realize how much I am from Philadelphia. Like, I didn't realize all these parts of me that are created by this little subculture, like that, mm. that there's an automatic understanding of where we're all at with bantering and that there's sarcasm. I'd been living in the Midwest for like three years before that and the West Coast before that. And uh, they don't really do sarcasm, certainly not in the same ways. And it was very confusing that, well, like on the West Coast, everyone thought I was shy. In the Midwest, everyone thought I was like rude. <laughs> and like, I was just like, no, I'm nice and I'm outgoing. And, like, you guys don't get it. Uh, and coming back to Philadelphia where everybody is automatically kind of like fucking with each other i was like oh home sweet home and delicious pizza um and i i really i hadn't realized i hadn't realized how much i was from philadelphia and then also to have my first or like yeah find my person from my hometown it's like oh my god i didn't realize how delicious that would be and again like (laughs) mercy (laughs) Mm. i can almost taste it from here totally hold on so while we're having while we're having a conversation y'all teased this a little bit in the podcast that i listened to and i don't know if you've gone more in depth yeah episode one we talk about you talk about it about about y'all meeting when you were 11 years old yeah mercy i was 10 he was 11 an older man cradle robber yeah. <laughs> no. we were Scandals. in uh we were in fifth grade class together each other's first boyfriend and girlfriend in fifth grade um yeah what any further questions <laughs> yeah what's that been like to see each other because i mean the change that you go through i mean people go th- put on so many different skins in that time you think about all this the faces and skins you try on when you're going through adolescence and yeah then, and as you're moving around and running around and moving to new places you you change and you grow and i'm sure that there must have been times where you guys sort of 
through in opposite directions and then came oh, back and we didn't each like know each again. other for yeah. most of that time no uh well trevor said something really beautiful maybe like a year ago he said that you know he thinks that we we were so drawn to each other and as 11 year olds like not really understanding the magnanimity of it but that that he knew he, he somehow who i would be to him in the future um and even though it wasn't the right time he knew that this was like something special to grab onto or something um so yeah it wasn't that i was like cognizant of it but you know aware on some level that there was an attraction there that our personalities would be able to be fused in such a way that I definitely needed to do some growing up in fifth grade. You <laughs> yeah. know, I wasn't quite the mature. No, we both said a bunch. Like, I, we weren't ready to meet each other until maybe like two weeks before we did as adults. I yeah. mean, like that we did the. I mean, yeah, the the life was ridiculously arranging all of its lessons and holding us apart from each other until the perfect timing. But Trevor, you feel like you knew in fifth grade. I need, to, I need to lock her down. For those of you listening at home, Jen is also tied to a chair. And <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't think that I was consciously aware of it, but I think that there was an obvious draw between the two of us towards one another that uh, was intimidating and scary and exciting uh, at that time that even then I was aware of in fifth grade. It was emotionally juvenile as I was so scared that I ditched her at a pool party I was supposed to meet her and then broke up with her because I was embarrassed that I ditched her so she claims (laughs) you know this happened yeah I guess that part of the story is not true it's amazing how little things change as we get older (laughs) I feel like you could have told that story from a few years ago and I would have believed it too (laughs) that's fair yeah so you so you fell in love with Pi through the music, it seems like. That was a big part of it. Yeah, I, I started uh, playing music in Pi. Uh, first time I went, I was planning on staying a couple of days. I ended up staying through the end of my visa, three weeks. That's how it's the a, story always goes. It's a very common story. <laughs> yeah. yeah, tale as old as time. And uh, I started playing music there with a few people, um, like John Taney and um, Jason and uh, Josh with, uh, there was a, uh, this uh, Canadian girl, Callie, who had an unbelievable voice. We were all playing a lot of music together at Jazz House and Irie Bar. Um, and yeah, it was really hard to, to get away. You yeah. know, it was a, this is a, a perfect time to shout out that Wes is the person who came up with the melody for our glorious theme song. <laughs> yes. That's how we met. We were we were jamming with with Jason, like, trying to come up with our theme song at Jazz House, and Wes came in and was like, "Here it is on a silver platter, the perfect melody." Thanks for that. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. made occasionally interesting what it is today. <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. We went through like several uh, different versions of it. I think, yeah, it, it took on. You know, we went through soul and funk and. Had like a Looney Tunes vibe for a minute. <laughs> they were yeah. all beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I love where it landed though. Yeah, I, we exactly couldn't we couldn't love it more. It turned it's, out great. That's your voice on it too, right, Jen? Sounds great. Is. Yeah, ah, sounds lovely. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. How did you... Um, all right, so you fell in love with Pi through music. And then when did you find Conserve Natural Forests? And how did you get hooked up with them? And tell us the whole tale. Well... Um, the elephant's tale. Yeah. Uh, I went out there... Same as y'all did, I guess. Just uh, I'd been in Pi for a while, and it seemed like a lovely thing to do um, and a good way to spend the day. And I went out to check it out. And you were already obsessed with trees at that point, though, right? I had done I'd done a lot of work, yeah, out um, out amongst it, I guess, and found that to be uh, a common thread and the most rewarding, the work that I found the most fulfilling, at least. Um, and when I was uh, out there on the land, I was sitting by the river um, at the river bar, which you guys got to see, which is only there for a couple months out of the year. But I was talking to this guy for a couple of hours um, about some of the work that I'd done and how interested I was in the project and asking a lot of questions about it. And uh, what I didn't realize is that it was Miguel, who's the, the director and founder of the organization. He was like, well, if you're keen on it, you should come back and work. So I did. Just sort of fell out of the sky in a way. Yep. I'm really glad That's it did. That's how pie though. goes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it does seem to sort of give you so exactly happened, what you're looking happened for. Happened to us as well. Pie provides. Mm-hmm. He seems like a really interesting character. So he started Yeah, this... we should have him on, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's got some stories for you. I can only imagine. I mean, that was a fantastic experience. Thank you for pointing like, that was. I'm glad y'all came out. Yeah, Let's give a little bit of background about what the hell we're talking about. All right. Wes? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to ping pong that back to you guys. And I'd, like to, I'd love to hear how you guys would summarize it after spending a day there and right. see what y'all learned. Start with, well, we met Wes, as I said, um, jamming for the theme song for the podcast. And then he was asking some questions about what the podcast was about and then said, um, so, like, how do you determine what's interesting? Are you interested in topics of, like, uh, environmentalism and uh, carbon neutrality and... Uh, Which happens what, to what, be exactly the main thing what I'm interested, interested in. in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One of the why we moved to Thailand was the natural sustainable building and, and Jen's... I, uh, I was kind of, like, in shock as you, as you were asking yeah. this question. I think I just was kind of, like, staring at you with my mouth open a little bit, being like, what do you know about me? Like, is this a joke? <laughs> like, I didn't understand how you were uh, nailing me exactly so precisely. And then I, I was just kind of like, what? what? I think I just, yeah, didn't really have a good question to come back at that with. And you were like, oh, because uh, I'm associated with this organization called Conserve Natural Forests. And, uh, and you, at the time... Uh, I think you you first got into uh, carbon neutrality and how you were um, how the big thing was was planting trees and you were really excited because your new website had just gone up and it had the uh, carbon calculator on it mm-hmm. and you were telling us a bit about that I think that had just happened like that day or something um, and and then we got into a conversation about yeah like that I'm at such odds with myself of what a you know, fraud I am that I try to live such a neutral footprint lifestyle, but it doesn't matter literally at all because I fly a lot. I mean, like it, like it. Yeah, I think two things stood out to me was how much, how much carbon footprint it takes to fly somewhere. It's like an absurd amount. It's incredible. I, I, I had never realized it was quite that dramatic. Yeah, like there's nothing you can do in the course of a year to equal one flight. 
Well, it's, basically. you know, it comes out to, you know, depending on where you're flying, but it can be up to 2,500 kilos per passenger, for example, if you're flying from San Francisco to Bangkok. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, about half of what your car puts out per year. That's, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing that stood out to me was how, how much of an impact a relatively small donation could make in terms of being able to, how many trees you could plant with. Yeah. How easy it is to offset your carbon footprint. And then, and that really, you know, like it seems like, oh, like, you know, donate five dollars. And it's like, oh, that could maybe plant, you know, half of a tree or a quarter yeah. of a tree. <laughs> and I, I forget the exact numbers if you have them off the top. It's of 10 trees. Yeah. It's about 50 cents a tree, or Which 15, is, 15 baht. It's like, how could you not do that? Like yeah. that? Especially when you then consider how much carbon you just release into the atmosphere by flying somewhere. Like, so. Well, it's a really complicated issue, you know. And I think that, um, you know, it's a big reason why people come out to the land you know for example when, when y'all came out to do the uh to our project site to see what it was all about you know a big reason why we do that is about making people aware of not just you know obviously you know reducing consumption and investing in renewable energies that's those are incredibly important those are the most important things um but in the meantime you know sort of like a stopgap or a um at least some sort of mitigating uh, way to improve the situation is, yeah, planting trees. Right now it's the best carbon capture technology that we have. Um, and realizing how easy it can be, you know, not just through conserved natural forests. There's plenty of organizations all over the world. I'm on, you know, we're on the Gili Islands right now, and the hostel that I'm staying at is trying to plant 5,000 trees a week, which is unbelievable. You know, there's a lot of people doing this sort of work out there. Um and carbon capture is just one of the many, many, many things that are provided to us by the forest. You know, there's so many different benefits to it. Uh, you know, improving water quality and water yield, air quality, uh, soil health, um, all the goods and services and food and medicine and all kinds of things, uh, timber um, that are provided by a forest. And it's a lot of it's just about bringing people out just to to learn about those things. I think most people come out to meet Kami. Uh, <laughs> May Kami's the beautiful thirty three year old elephant that we have on site, and she's amazing. And I don't blame people for coming out to see her. Um, but the tree planting part is the most important part. Mm. And again, I I really think community outreach and education is maybe the most important thing that we do. Um, you know, it's one thing to, you can plant as many trees as you want. Um, but it's, I feel like it's a amalgamation, I guess, of many different people all working toward the same thing. It's not mm -hmm. us conserve natural forests changing the world. Mm -hmm. It's maybe conserve natural forests changing some people's minds about how possible it is, um, and how easy it can be to do this work on an individual level or on a local community level. I think that's, I, I theorize that's really the only sustainable way to do it. I think coming from like this industrialized monoculture type society, we tend to think like, okay, like you talked about a couple of organizations that plant billions of trees and that's great and that's wonderful. But when you do it on sort of a micro level of different initiatives, all working towards the same goal, 
you can't really industrialize it the same way that it was destroyed because it needs so many multifaceted approaches all working to replenish the resources that we've stripped the earth of. And through smaller organizations like you guys that are reaching out to individuals and motivating more people to go out and do similar things, or at least be part of somebody doing similar things, seems like a much more sustainable way of going about fixing the atrocities that we've done. And in a lot of ways, it can be also the most effective. Um, I mean, it's it's messy and it's decentralized um, and there's a lot of different groups. It, it's a lot of tentacles, you know, um, but they're all moving toward the same thing. There's so many examples of that. You know, one of the, I, I studied uh, history in my, for my undergrad and, you know, there's, there's a, so many examples of like when you take a really hard look at some effective, profound change, um, a lot of times when we talk about it, looking back, it's we, we pick our figureheads, you know, we pick our Martin Luther King, for example, or, or our Malcolm X, uh, and, and we build the narrative around these great men or great women of history who, who led the charge. Um, but if you really dig into what was happening, say, in the South during the Civil Rights Movement, it was hundreds of organizations all working mm-hmm. toward the same thing. And a lot of times they rubbed up against each other and there was friction and, um, and, and arguments and it was messy and it was democratic. Um, but it worked. And it didn't work because one person wrote a beautiful speech, not to in any way take away from how incredibly beautiful those words are and how they summed up um, a lot of the work that was being done, but it's still a summary of this enormous effort from many, many different organizations, small organizations, local churches, you know what I mean? Uh, town councils, you know, it's, and I think that it can be really easy, especially, you know, working for doing this kind of work, it can be discouraging at times, the scale that we have the capacity to operate at. Um, you know, it's like I say, like we're trying to plant a million trees and um, over the next few years. And it sounds like a lot of trees. It's a nice round number, <laughs> um, but it's not that many trees. You know, there's four, approximately four trillion trees on the planet. There's more trees on Earth than there are stars in the Milky Way galaxy. You wow. Know? Wow. Mm-hmm. That's cool. By an statistic. order of magnitude. Yeah. And, wow. and, and it's, it can, so when you, you're planting a million, it, it, when you understand that scale, it, it, it can seem very low impact um but not being discouraged about the scale that you can work at and just doing what you can do and being inspired by that letting that carry you i think is really important you know and being able to a lot of it's about trusting that there are other people out there even if you don't know them even if you can't see them we're all sort of stumbling around in the dark with this Mm -hmm. but trusting that there's sort of other people in that same dark room as you feeling out um is that's where the change happens, I think. I said it better myself. I think it's a good philosophy for all things in life. Mm-hmm. Just, like, just keep doing the next right thing and trust that the people around you are going to be trying to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I'm all about individual action and always has have been, and I've been the environmentalist and the climate change advocate and loud person since I was since even before I met Trevor since I was very 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 young this has been my main passion in life and uh 
That's interesting how many people I come up against with me advocating for individual action and personal responsibility and small changes and that so many people are under the impression that individual action, small changes don't matter. It doesn't matter. It, like it's too small because the the problem is so big that a whole bunch of small things won't add up to equal. The only thing that we can do is nothing and wait for there to be mandated centralized top-down action and that's so frustrating uh I, I not only is that so false but also to live a life aligned with your community and environment in every sense of the word lends itself to so much more happiness and connection and that was another thing about our visit was when you were talking about sort of some of the fallbacks from top-down action of, say, making logging illegal in all of Thailand and the backlash. It sounds great. That's, you know, save the trees. But then how that sort of overarching mass-produced solution to a much more complex problem can have unintended consequences, such as the damn smoke. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I loved that you were you're saying like my main I think you or like your your closing comment to your opening speech about what was going to happen during the visit was that you were going to try to introduce lots of shades of gray to what people perceived as black and white issues. And I was like, fuck, yeah. <laughs> and then and you did. And it was amazing. And, uh, yeah. I mean, can you I, I want to hear more of like not necessarily the uh, actual details of that, but like the philosophy behind introducing shades of gray and uh, and the do you do you feel like it's do you feel like we're living in a world increasingly obsessed with the black and white issues this is something we talk about constantly well i think a lot of these things these issues can be polarizing i guess mm -hmm. and you know we're talking about polarizing we're talking about drawing people to opposite ends of something that they can quite often meet in the middle on um or at least find a much greater depth of understanding by seeing both sides of it. Um, and yeah, I think that one of the things that is the most important priority for me when people come out to visit our project site is complicating people's understandings of, say, how deforestation works, um, how forest restoration works, where you're talking about ecosystem restoration and all the harm that's been done with the best of intentions toward trying to fix things that we've fucked up uh or trying to or you know having a good understanding of like why it's okay to cut down some trees or to thin a forest and how people still need wood and that's fine there are sustainable ways to do this mm -hmm. it's not about eradicating it entirely um you know we don't uh chain ourselves to a tree so that people won't cut it down although that being said i do respect the people <laughs> who do do that in those redwood forests up in northern mm -hmm. california you guys go do your thing. Um, but yeah, I think um, it, it's, it's so hard. There's so much information out there. A lot of it contradictory. Um, and it's so easy to find your confirmation bias. You know, there's, it, we're living in the information age. You can find whatever position that you want to support. You can find all the evidence that you could ever want to support it. Yeah. Um, and that is something that can really entrench your views about something that, you know, and not 
allow you to see you know when we're talking about multifarious problems like climate change through the trees that's it my (laughs) man now you're talking my speak yeah um yeah being able to see both is really important you know you can say i see the forest and not see the individual trees that make it up you know or if you focus too much on one tree then you're missing there's so much else out there you know and um but can't that sort of be paralyzing in its own right where you're like i understand both sides and i still have no idea what the to actually do absolutely yeah absolutely that's something that i run into all every day it seems like um and especially i don't know i guess if we're talking about say forest restoration as an example there's so many cautionary tales out there of people doing what they think is the best for the environment and really really shit in the bed yeah um I think I gave the example of, you know, Yosemite where they drove out all the indigenous people and just tried to keep it a perfectly pristine nature park where, you know, free from human influence when humans had been a part of and actively involved in um, that forest succession in that area for a really long time. And so when they cleared them out, there was, you know, all this undergrowth growing up, which was just tender for the fire. They started getting these devastating wildfires much more frequently. And I understand the mindset behind uh you know why they would do that and this was all like right at the very very the vanguard the very forefront of what we know now know is the conservation movement um so we're still you know like i said we're we're in some ways still stumbling around in the dark it's a relatively young science and i think that um for me it's less paralyzing uh and more humbling if that makes sense you know it it makes me want to like I, I want to proceed, but I want to proceed with caution um, and not think that, you know, I understand everything about how this works. I kind of think about it like an ecosystem, kind of like a computer. You know, there's not one person in the world that knows everything about how a computer works. There's so many layers of complexity all stacked on top of each other. Um, anybody who's taking a programming class, uh, especially like a higher level programming language class where you're trying to design a language, understands just how down the rabbit hole that stuff can get you know and even if you know everything about the software then you probably know very little about the hardware or vice versa you know it's so complicated that it's impossible for one person to know and that's why for me again it's about being able to you know understand or try to always sort of keep in my head what i what i think i know um and what i know i don't know um and you know that can be a a really motivating force i'm still really new to all this to be really clear for everyone listening at home i'm not an expert on all this i'm trying to go to school later this year it's something that i really care about and that i've put work into and i've done a lot of independent research and i've taken some classes and i'm really excited to to go and get like a formal do a formal rigorous study of this um but I feel like this sort of work, sort of like music in a way, is there's I'm never going to stop learning about this. Mm-hmm. And my understanding of it is going to be constantly evolving and changing. And it's really exciting. It's really scary, too. You know, I, I you know, just um, but maybe those are the same feeling. You know, I think excitement and anxiety, they do the same work on the body. You know, <laughs> they make your heart race a little faster. They, you know, um you know, your mind is all over the place and you get jittery and shaky and all that. But, 
you know, I'm, I'm choosing to think that I'm really excited about it. You know, it's like, man, I've so much to learn, you know, but then it's like, I have so much to learn, you know, it's exciting too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Our favorite topics is the ability to choose your perspective and how powerful of a concept that can be. You're absolutely right. You can either look at it like this is daunting and impossible, or this is going to be an amazing journey. Mm -hmm. One's one's the right way. Mm -hmm. One's not such a good way. Well, one's productive and one isn't. Yes, that's a better way of saying it. Yeah. One's paralyzing, one propels you forward, I think. With that said, you were fantastic at what you do. Engaging. Yeah. It was a pleasure to be able to have that experience. We had been waiting to see an elephant since we had gotten to Thailand because we wanted to do it in a way that was humane. That's the right word. That was. Elephantine, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) That was a wonderful way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thanks for coming. Yeah, it was really nice to have you guys out. Um, I think while we're talking about shades of gray, I find that, uh, you know, the elephant conservation and the Thai elephant tourist industry and the current status quo for the Asian elephant in Thailand is one where it, that is incredibly polarizing and that people have it. Usually people who come out to CNF, it's a, it's a, I'd say it's a relatively self-selecting crowd. I think a lot of people who come out have a basic understanding of what it is that we're trying to do and how the day is going to go and how limited the interaction is going to be. Um, we, I mean, we still get people who come out who have different expectations, but we know how to manage those. And, but people also come with their ideas about how this works mm-hmm. um, and what it should be and what it is and what it isn't. And it's such an incredibly complicated topic. Um and I find it so rewarding when people come out and they and they want to listen to that. You know, again, it, it sort of goes back to my, you know, when I say confirmation bias, one part of that is only selecting the information that you that supports your argument. But the other part of it is ignoring all the information that doesn't support your argument. It can be frustrating at times when people come out and they just sort of stick their head in the sand, I guess. And, yeah. and you know, say, I'm not even going to consider that viewpoint. Um but it's really rewarding, I think, when people say, oh, I hadn't really looked at it that way or um, that's, you know, that's something I hadn't considered or, you know, I, I really it's my favorite part of the day. I think it's a beautiful thing to hear at any at any point in a day of somebody actually considering what somebody else has to say on a, on a fundamental level and like risk integrating something that they hadn't necessarily considered before. Yep. Yeah, um, you do an incredibly impressive job of uh, I don't know, yeah. setting There's the stage and, and getting people's I don't know shields Guards down. down to where you know a lot of the times you, it can feel like an attack, completely unwarrantedly like an attack. Like it's not like it's, it's just it's not what I thought. So therefore, it must be I gotta. Mm-hmm. And you did an amazing job at at making it just sort of flow into like oh wow that's. It never felt threatening to take in new information. Yeah. I mean, we're more Which seems kind of like, why would it ever feel? But it, it can, and it <laughs> does, and, and it did not. We were impressed. Well, it's not supposed to be an attack. You know, it's a conversation. Same as we're having right here, you know. Um, and, yeah, I find the more insistent or eh, there's just, maybe it's the Southern thing, but there's I, I find there's 
very rarely an excuse for not being polite. It's a, it's a great way to reach out to people too. And it's found through small talk, <laughs> you know, that's sort of the, the entry point, you know, if I just went in like guns blazing yeah. and was like, you know, just, all right, y'all sit the fuck down. <laughs> Everything you know about elephants is <laughs> Listen wrong. Listen up, it's a lie. Y'all don't know a goddamn thing. And that's not a very effective way of reaching out to people, I found. Um, I tried that a couple of days. It didn't work out. Um, yeah, there was like babies crying. It was, it was a nightmare, honestly. Uh, those babies didn't understand shit. <laughs> I was trying to explain the, the complexity of elephant conservation, and they were just... You know, close-minded jerks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know, super narrow-minded those babies. Um, but I found that, yeah, that if if you want to reach out to somebody, you have to approach them from where they're coming from. Yeah. You know, that's where you have to meet them. Totally. You know, you you can meander around and try to find how to get to the, maybe the place where you're trying to take them, um, or you might wind up in some other place entirely, you know, and that's okay too. That's how a conversation goes. I think I, I like starting conversations where I don't know where it's going to end. One of my favorite writers, authors, this woman, Rebecca Solnit, uh, says something really beautiful about mother nature. You know, she's talking about how the difference between living off the land, living with the land, when we're talking about like farming or forest dependent people or, you know, whether, you know, when you have a really close connection with the land, whether it's through the work that you do or what's required of you based on where you live, the difference between that and say, you know, going to Rocky Mountain National Park um, out of Denver, uh, just to see it for a second and get this incredibly beautiful vista um, you know, she noted that, you know, a lot of people who say live off the land, they don't really do that. You know, like if they vacation, they go to the city. They don't want, they don't need to go see, you know, the Grand Tetons or whatever it may be. And she just, she was talking about the perspective change in that. And she, what she's saying is, you know, um, uh, she says, if you think of the earth as your mother, right, if you really think of it as mother earth, then it's probably not her sexiest bits that appeal to you the most. You know, it's all the other things that, you know, it's the nurturing and the providing that probably matter a lot more than, you know, than, yeah, the parts that would draw the eye of a stranger. And I really like that. And I think that the Outback or other places where I've been where it's not the sexiest place in the world you know, but right, trying to see the merit in that too. Um, and, you know, looking out on the outback and thinking, wow, you know, yeah, there is nothing for as far as I can see, but it's also one of the most pristine, untouched ecosystems left in the world. And, you know, there's a myriad of animals, endemic species that are only there that would never be anywhere else that couldn't survive here. Yeah. And that has its worth too. There's something about being immersed in something so so vast. Like I remember driving through the Arizona desert, like underneath the Milky Way, like as the sun was setting, and you could see the stars, but it's like oh, it's just and getting this like phenomenal understanding of how small we are, and this whole gigantic universe—not even just this one tiny little planet. There's something there's there's a power to that as well. It's like 
puts things in perspective. Like, yeah, might as well just enjoy and love and appreciate the things around you rather than just sort of take everything that you possibly can and not worry about what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. It seems really foolish when you consider how small we really are. Yeah. It's a humbling thing. There's another writer, Hannah Arendt, who talks about, she calls it the Archimedean point. He has an Archimedes, like, give me a lever long enough that I can move the world, right? And she sort of makes a metaphor of that. She talks about how the way she describes it is, uh, you know, there's the further we abstract ourselves from something, the more control over it we have. You know, if we can come up with, you know, the laws of physics, thermodynamics and things like that, they're very abstract. It has a lot of times it has very little to do with what our senses can experience, what we can see or experience or hear. Um, But it gives us it's given us enormous power over the environment that we live in and, and what we can do. We can go to the moon. We can build a space station. We can do all kinds of things. But when we do that, we also diminish ourselves, you know, and we go from, you know, when you're looking at it from that far away then we look incredibly tiny in comparison. I think the way she describes it is you see a bunch of cars moving around, um, but they look like ants, you know, when you've abstracted yourself that far. Um, And I think that there's, you sort of have to hold both in your head at the same time. There's the big picture. And then there's also all the things that are around you that make it worth it. That's a fascinating, what book is that? The Human Condition, I think, is, I'm pretty sure, is where she writes that. It's a really interesting book. That is. It's a really interesting point. The further that we abstract ourselves from the things around us, the more control we have, the more... So it is a way, like, math is really us just defining a language to understand and manipulate the things around us. Like, physics is putting numbers to, you know, the calculus that we inherently understand. Like, when you're driving a car and you're switching lanes, you immediately do these really complicated calculus equations in your head of how fast the other car coming how fast do i need to accelerate I and mean, those related rate problems that are a bitch in fucking math class <laughs> and, and it gives it is but it's it's definitely a different experience to do that conceptually abstractly and and it's, it's fascinating and i'd like to read that book probably explains why i got into a couple of accidents this year as i'm terrible at calculus <laughs> well you're just so in the moment you know you were so not ab- abstracted but so in the here and now yeah i didn't yeah. see that drunk person barreling straight toward me mm-hmm. so they were a little in- too in the here and now as well yeah or not yeah that sucks what are your thoughts jen yeah. there's an ant that keeps on i know i see that ant really trying likes to you. get in my mouth jen keeps trying to join the conversation but there's an <laughs> ant on the mic right now What's he it? has really intense teeth. He looks like he has lobster claws on his face. <laughs> uh, how'd you meet your girlfriend? That's a um, well. Camila and I met almost two years ago in Hoi An in Vietnam. Have you guys been to Vietnam? No, not yeah. yet. Oh, that's worth that's a where lot. my brother lives, though. So we're probably where, where's he live? Are you fucking kidding me? What's, the aunt is back this, that was like less than 30 seconds um he lives in saigon, in saigon. sorry aunt, i didn't mean to throw you oh that hard God, he literally she's throwing it across the table and is crawling up the microphone cord back up to her microphone uh. each time 
They've developed um, a symbiotic relationship. I've stopped, I've stopped you. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> All right, so you were in Vietnam. Yeah, Camille and I met in Vietnam. Um, and this uh, beautiful little beachside town called Hoi An. That reminds me a lot of Charleston, South Carolina, actually. But it's beautiful. It's this, you know, low buildings and it all feels very tightly packed around you. Flowers and lanterns everywhere. It's a very romantic city. It was great. I didn't even, I didn't, you know, it's one of the cities where you don't have to do any work. You don't have to be <laughs> smooth or articulate or charming. The you city just, does it for you. Exactly. You just walk around, let the city do the work for you. Uh-huh. And, uh, and yeah, we met and... um I've been traveling with a couple for a while. Uh, uh, Pedro and Sabrina, if you guys are listening, I love you guys dearly and miss you. And congratulations on your engagement. And, you know, I wasn't really looking for anything. I was taking a lot of time to myself, uh, trying to just, you know, enjoy my solitude in a way. Uh, And then, yeah, Camila and I met. I we just spoke uh, just a few words to each other, but she's one of those people that she's uh very easy to love and um not that i did at that point i don't want to sound like a total creep but (laughs) i was charmed and i invited her out to dinner and she was like yeah yeah maybe i'll join you and you know when i met up with the couple and told them you know maybe i met a girl they all got incredibly excited about it and you know find her on Facebook. What does she look like? What's she like? Where's she from? They were all pumped up about it. And then she sent me a message and said, yeah, I can't make it to dinner, unfortunately, but maybe we can meet on the beach later this (laughs) evening. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, we were really lucky to meet each other the way that we did. It was, a um, very stars aligned, uh, kind of introduction to each other you know while we were out there there was more bioluminescent plankton in the ocean than i'd ever seen in my life you could walk down the beach and you would see your neon footprints on the beach behind you you know you could almost trace your name uh in the water it was unbelievable and so yeah we were just splashing around with the milky way above us stars above and stars in the ocean and you know it just seemed silly uh (laughs) for us not to travel around with each other for a while so um and yeah and it's just it's only gotten more beautiful since i guess we traveled for six weeks and then you know there was a lot of like uh deceptive cadences i guess i would call it in our relationship where you know we'd think it was done and then she'd buy a plane ticket or i'd buy a plane ticket and to go see each other again and she came lived together in australia for a while and um now we're here in indonesia together and I'm planning to go to grad school in the fall, same school that she's going to study for science. Yeah. So, um, there's been a lot of distance, but you know, I've also, it's been a really good lesson for me that the world just ain't big enough. Aww. Yeah. It's beautiful. So we ask, uh, so here's the questions to every guest you may have heard on, does this make it on Ryan's podcast? Yeah, they make it on every podcast, just not the... Gotcha. I've only included the game of Interesting or Not on Tashi's podcast. Because mm-hmm. that was not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you should check out Brando's podcast. He, uh, yeah. He's the one who you guys walked around uh, the perimeter of New Zealand. Oh, wow. Yeah, the first person, only person to ever oh, walk yeah. the perimeter of New Zealand. The whole thing, both islands. 
Yeah. Wow. I mean, he kayaked in between where necessary. Yeah, right. That's bananas. Yeah. Uh, he's now a professional uh, adventurer, which is pretty cool. Professional adventurer. Professional adventurer. Wow. That's, that's his official title. Um, but he talks a lot about like what it was like to immerse yourself in the environment and nature and be completely alone with nothing but yourself and how that experience changed him. It's quite fascinating. To, that's that's intense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, hunted, fished for his food. Like, Ate lots of bugs. A lot of bugs. A lot of bugs. Mm. Yeah. He's a Good source of protein. Guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the future. I theorize that in the near future, we're going to be sustained through like drinks of protein balanced What's and then, like, eating is going to be, like, a luxury of, like... Bug shakes. Bug shakes be your, your primary source of nutrients, and then eating will be for pleasure. Just tie your arm off and mainline it? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that seems efficient, if mm-hmm. nothing else. But, by God, eating is an amazing experience. Especially where we went to dinner last night. Yeah, was, you should definitely go there later. It's beautiful. And Caribbean fusion. Sold. Yeah, it was. Oh, that was. We're disappointed that we hadn't been eating there this whole time. Yeah. Um, All right. All right. Lightning round. Now for the questions. This isn't lightning round. This can be whatever pace round you feel. Whatever is okay. natural it can be as, light, as lightning or as a long as you desire. What is the most unrealistic thing you believe in? I don't know. There's maybe it's some of the ideals that i've tried to pick up they're very not real (laughs) like what uh you know learning like how to be alone without being lonely the quality of that how to sustain gratitude do unto others as you would have them do to you things like that you know they're so not real you know they're not grounded in context or experience or you know flesh and bone but uh but they're worth you know and very dangerous you know i think it was joseph campbell who said that ideals are very dangerous things and you can get by in life with very few of them Mm. and that's true uh you have to be really careful about the ones that you pick you know um so yeah maybe you know the the few little lessons that i picked up uh that i try to carry with me that can often so can run really contrary to reality that you have to hold on to regardless. I don't know. Is that way too vague and abstract? I no. no, I like it. That's perfect. Yeah. I totally seen, feel um, the same way. The Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah, I love it. All about it. <laughs> I love. So we talk about the movie or the, the book? movie. The movie. This is from. I <laughs> what? Tell me about that. Oh, <laughs> mercy. <laughs> One of my favorite movies. I, I, we watched it when we were. Let's uh, we into our relationship. With, Certain degree, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I have a blanket from childhood. Like probably, which that's probably <laughs> nine months in or something, and we watched the movie. And then referring to the ring on her finger that's made out of yarn. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. You've never seen the Count of Monte Cristo? Go watch it. You understand the reference? <laughs> Go watch it right now. <laughs> Get off the uh, it's like one of my favorite movies. Uh, but what I was reminded of was when the uh, magistrate. Of the new regime was talking to his father, who was a Napoleon supporter, and he says, "You're going to ruin our family all because of your idiotic sympathies to the father, who Napoleon so to still supporting Napoleon, who was in exile at that moment." And then he says something like, 
well, at least I have sympathies. At least I have virtues that I adhere to, and I'm not just going along with what the next regime is telling me to think. And that's always stuck with me as a very interesting idea of like the idea of being virtuous. And so you pick your values and then you stick to them. And you can be virtuous even with really fucked up values. Yeah. And it's just a really kind of fascinating concept to me of like, and understanding that. And I think that helps sort of depolarize people when you really get that because you understand that the other side, the, you know, the Republicans or the Democrats, they're not out to do terrible things. They just have picked different values and different different arguments to adhere to that they're sticking to, and there's something to be respected in that on a, on a on one level at least. Sure, yeah, I totally agree with that. That's why we have to be careful about the ones that we pick too. Yes, you know? yes. Vonnegut says, you know, we we have to be really careful about who we pretend to be because we are who we pretend to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing that I thought of was Richard Bach when he talks about. Um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And he says, and I think it's illusions that this is, this is a, a foolish thing to do because somebody else might not want you to do unto them as you would wish to be done unto you. Sure. Totally. So really what it should be changed to is do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Mm. I, I always thought that was a, a pretty interesting point of his. No. This is really good pillow talk too. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that the uh, the 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 thing that he points out to demonstrate his his point is that like a, a masochist sure. or a sadist and and how they really might not want the same thing done to them as you would want done unto you. <laughs> uh, I don't know why those two just popped into my head from your answer. Oh, that's that's a great relevant. example. Yeah. It's a great example. This is. I just want to go into a specific value of, like, I feel very much that I've been raised and love the virtue of kill them with kindness. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, yeah, whenever anybody's a ridiculous dick to me, the more I want to be so nice that it ruins them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, It's a potent force. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think I have a... A pretty good success rate of uh, turning people into being nice to me and wow. making them feel guilty enough about You, you being... got a high body count. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but uh, it's been an interesting thing, like, in the past couple years especially, as, uh, you know, call-out culture becomes a bigger thing and Me Too movement and everything. I mean, more specifically referring to the states that, um, you know, if... Uh, if a man now is like in any way rude, disrespectful, or anything, that that women are yell at me for responding in acceptance and kindness and compassion or anything like that, that the only appropriate response is to be cruel and disrespectful and rude in response to that and to attempt to, you know, ruin their lives even harder than like they ruined mine. I know. uh, I don't know. I think all those are making a comeback. I think they're, I think the kindness and compassion and those things, I think that's going to be super in super hip coming up real soon here. You know, I think we already like pendulum swung far enough in the other direction. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's going to be really in pretty, pretty hip. 
I hope so. I hope so too. I really hope so because it's becoming scary the way how far the pendulum's swinging, just on both sides, just back and forth, just further and further. And if it doesn't come back down to the middle soon, it's scary. Yeah, Yeah. it's really interesting. You know, there's this um, uh, David Foster Wallace talks about this, where he says, um, you know, that it used to be that it was really cutting edge and uh, avant-garde or, you know, right at the forefront to be deconstructing and breaking down all these value systems. And, you know, you talk about um, Don DeLillo and these guys writing uh, and subverting, you know, this sort of 1950s Andy Griffith, you know, house and 2.5 kids and, um, you know, like very firmly rooted value systems and just going in with a sledgehammer and just tearing it all down uh, with irony and sarcasm um, which are really effective tools for breaking things down, but they're not good tools for building anything back up to replace it. Right. And he says, look, we've done it. We, we have completely shattered this house. You know, we've stripped it down to the foundations and then dug those out, you know, pulled out all the tree stumps, everything. And that, you know, now what's coming soon here, hopefully, is that, you know, what's going to be really cutting edge, I guess, in the future is people sticking to their values or finding values to hold on to and really exploring those again. You know, that it used to be, you know, really, you know, out there and outrageous and, you know, um, obscene even to be like, you know, uh, fuck traditional sex values or um, things like that. Whereas, you know, or, you know, free love and, you know, forget this whole like monogamous, just as an example, one example, forget this whole like, you know, monogamy ideal of what a relationship should be. Um, That love can take infinite forms and, you know, there's so many different ways to do it and all of them are equal and totally correct and totally fine. Um, Which is... There's a lot of truth to that, uh, but that the next, you know, now the outrageous thing and the obscene thing to say is, you know, um, for example, I really love this one person and that's the only person I want to be with and that's okay, you know, totally respect everything else that's going on, you know, y'all do your thing, you know, but this really does mean a lot to me and I'm happy and content with it, you know, that's crazy yeah. now. That's bananas. <laughs> you know, you guys meeting when you're 11, who the fuck do you two think you are? <laughs> but being able to hold on to that and really, and, and that to be, you know, as worthy of the respect and how, you know, just how beautiful that is, you know, that's the next crazy thing. Yeah, what y'all are doing is just wild, you know? <laughs> Renegades love. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Renegades. I think that's an interesting point. I think I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that there was a dismantling of the establishment that occurred uh, without any without much thought of what should replace it. Uh, I think that a good example of that is religion, where you know I'm going to say this without any statistical backing up, but it seems like there's been a, a, a exodus from religious communities, mm-hmm. um, and that, and I'm not one that really puts too much store in organized religion. I think that on an individual level, it's great, but I think as a, an organization, it's, it's fall, flawed, flawed 
Um, but there hasn't been anything to replace it. And there needs to be a sense in, in this in individualized world, there needs to be a force that brings people together in a way that's not for work. It's not for just play either. Like it's not the bar. It's not the workplace. It's not the, it's something that's like, let's get together and, and figure out how to be better people. And, and, Without religion, there's not a organized way of doing that. So we need a force to come back and be that again. No, but honestly, like I think you're totally right that there needs to be a space. You know, I think we really threw out the baby with the bathwater, and that there needs to be a space provided to a dedicated space toward betterment and kindness and humility and connection and community, charity, all of these really really beautiful things that have been handed down to us in these you know i mean there's um religious texts but there's also all the you know old wives tales fairy tales folklore things like that that you know we've you know kind of dismissed now as trite or cliche uh but i think that cliches honestly hold a tremendous amount of power I used to think that, you know, they weren't worth listening to at all, but it's amazing how often they come up in your life, you know. One of my sister's ex-girlfriends used to tell me, for example, if you're going to fuck a monkey, you should fuck it until you come. (laughs) I think that's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's amazing how often that comes up. (laughs) It truly is. It's amazing. Nana, I'm so sorry if you're listening to this. And that's just one example, you know, um, but there's so many that, you know, it, I think that especially for in the times in my life where I've been really low um, and in a lot of pain and feeling really isolated and feeling more lonely than alone, I guess, or whatever it may be, um, that those things carried me in a way. You know, once I was able to humble myself enough to be like, okay, I'm not smarter or more clever or evolved beyond what this cliche or, you know, trite aphorism or whatever can do for me and let it do its work on me, it really helped. It really, really did. Um, anyway, I think those are going to be super in. It's going to be like retro, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I even I've seen it myself where people are like, I have one friend that I worked with, like came out that she goes to church every Sunday, and I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like, way to like go against the mainstream. Like, that's an interesting dynamic that just occurred. Uh, I welcome that. If there was one behavior or action you could get everyone in the world to do or stop doing, what would it be? Plant more trees. That'd be great. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I don't know. Stop being an asshole. I know that's a common one that seems to be coming up often, but it's true. What do you think makes somebody an asshole? (laughs) Oh, there's so many things. I think that it entirely depends on when was the last time that I ate. (laughs) What I define as an asshole or not. Um, Well, maybe all of those assholes haven't eaten. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also, I think everybody has a, the capacity to be an asshole. Oh, That's yeah. okay. You know, just don't let it be the dominant thing. Um, 
Is there ever a setting where being an asshole is the appropriate response? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Sometimes being an asshole is the only way to bump another asshole out of your life, you know? Sometimes, I mean, don't get me wrong, I totally understand killing them with kindness, but there are also, there are times where you need to be extremely firm. Yes. Like a really puckered up butthole to somebody. <laughs> you have to. Otherwise, you know, they're just going to try to squeeze their way in. And uh, I don't know. I think maybe if I were to say stop, this is an ironic thing to say during a podcast maybe, but stop talking and listen more might be a good one. Well, I mean, I think podcasts are this revolutionary medium. I know like whatever radio is huge for a long time, but podcasts are even different and bigger because they absolutely are. Obviously, we're talking right now, but I love podcasts because I listen to podcasts and it's amazing uh, the, how different I am and open to receiving the information being presented to me because there's never going to be a time like I don't have to be preparing my response or thinking about you know how what's my immediate reaction and how I'm going to have to present this to someone else I can just long form be in a place to take in information and really listen digest that's what that's why I love NPR is it's not like mainstream media where it's a one-sided argument they tend more often than not, not all the time, but to take two experts and then have them give the expert argument, not like the superficial one-lining argument that you might hear on MSNBC where you know, they really take more consideration to give like a logical, like something you'd hear in a logic class of like this, 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 then. And I think there's something so beautiful about hearing two people who know more about the topic than you talk about it in a concise way that just tickles my fancy. Mm -hmm. Totally. Or even not a concise way. I mean, yeah. and uh, we talk about, you know, Trevor likes narrative or podcasts and I like more human-y podcasts. I mean, I love, we, we, we both like both versions, um, but even, you know, the human-y podcasts, it might not be quite as obvious what you're learning from them, but for me it is like, I, I feel, I feel, after books, podcasts be the most changing medium for me of, yeah, like I've changed. I've, I've witnessed, I've, my favorite, my favorite quote of all time is uh, from Richard Bach. And it goes, I had to swim through my life like a baleen whale, taking in great flooding seawater mouthfuls of what other people wrote and thought and said, tasting and keeping bits of knowing the size of plankton that fit what I wanted to believe. That's beautiful. Um, I feel like, yeah, doing that for podcasts, but but podcasts and and books, mm -hmm. that you're in a a particularly receptive environment to take in those planktons and see what fits. Yeah, I mean, I say these things about what I think the world should stop doing and start doing, but I really feel this this boom mic in front of me reflecting all the words back at me. You know, when I say stop being an asshole, I'm saying that as somebody who has the capacity to be an asshole from time to time. Um, I like to think. But I think it's uh, my point with this quote is like, you know, kind of you don't ever really need to take yourself so seriously because if somebody isn't already 
in a place to take on your planktons, they're not going to. Mm-hmm. So it's only if they're open in the moment when they're hearing you to reflect on, am I being an asshole? Like, is there something to what this guy is saying that I should really like reflect on this a bit more? Then you'll have profound change on them. And if you say something silly or like that doesn't matter at all to a person, then it doesn't matter at all to a person. And, like, what I think is one of the most like interesting parts of that quote is the way that he ends it with what I wanted to believe, where he's acknowledging that he's choosing to believe in something. It's not it's not a fact. It's not like an axiom. Yeah, it's, it's that nothing's a fact. It's all illusions, buddy. It's right on the line. It's turtles all the way down. <laughs> is that is that John Green? Nice. Um, well, I don't know how you're going to feel about this question. What is the most annoying thing about people? I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I said a lot, I think, about the benefits of small talk and how beautiful it is to reach out to people in small and sometimes trivial ways. But don't do it before I've had my coffee. (laughs) Just don't do it. I really don't need it right now. I'll be ready in an hour, but I can't have it before then. Sometimes two or three coffees. (laughs) I respect that. What is something that is really popular now, but in five years, everyone will look back on and be embarrassed by? I don't know. I wish I knew more about what's super (laughs) popular right now. I mean, I was thinking that you just kind of answered this with like the breaking down of the system and being whatever. Being super hip and ironic and removed from it all and better than that and above it. Maybe. Hopefully. It'll give it, uh, hopefully within five years. God, I hope so. (laughs) I'm tired of it. Um, This has been an interesting question that everybody goes to. What's like trendy like what's pop culture right now and that doesn't have to be what i mean but we've also learned a lot of weird things about what's trendy right now by asking people this yeah. question <laughs> yeah some weird I shit am. that's popular <laughs> my friend was like people have pointy nails yeah yeah it's very trendy for know. like the way for for women in the states to have is long nails that come to like a, a like a daggery point like that's super popular right now it just seems dangerous and, yeah let's see yeah i don't know i've heard a few too the jazzling i guess really took off and somewhere around london i think it was all about that i think that one's already like come and gone but as it you see i don't know yeah i don't know i do read the front page of the internet but i wish that i was more in tune with these things um do you do you really wish you were more in tune with these things (laughs) you know i think one that i that i see back home is um, uh, oh my god, I'm gonna get in so much trouble for saying this. <laughs> um, identity politics, gender identity, or so, well, there's oh, it's the intersectionality of so many different things. You know, uh, I don't know. It's you know it's something that I've noticed um, fairly recently. Like I've been out of the states for um, about five years now, I guess, and. Uh, it's something that I've sort of watched from afar, mm-hmm. I suppose, uh, between my friends and my family and people that, you know, I, I consider to be like actually very whose opinions I really respect and and place a lot of value in who I think are really intelligent and level headed people who I've started to notice like words creep into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, identifiers, I guess, uh-huh. that I didn't notice before, like um y- Hearing somebody say, you know, uh, 
you know, yeah, I was like hanging out the other night at a bar and I met a Republican, you know, uh, that that's one very small example. You know what I mean? But how these uh, these adjectives or these placeholders become a way of shoehorning people, I guess, into um, that, that's that's what they are. And people you know? shoehorn themselves. Yeah. I mean, there's an excellent uh, John Stewart quote where he's criticizing Glenn Beck about his tactic of taking a position like if you're a republican then you must subscribe to everything that the republicans are then saying at that time or if you're you know if you believe in god then you must be a a theologist and and like and that's not what people are they're they're a multitude of different opinions and conflicting opinions and And contradictions yeah and and to to label yourself and subscribe to and and be something does not mean that you need to be that thing every all the time and it really is a discredit to to yourself and to people who choose to really identify that way of claiming to be or forcing people to be that mm-hmm. yeah i don't know it's uh you know one thing i think that's totally true um it's it it reduces people you yeah, know it's definitely um, very reductionary I, I think one word that i've had a problem with that seems to be like super in recently is woke yes. <laughs> i don't know how i feel about that word i'm still trying to figure out what exactly that word means i mean i, I think know? it's turned into a yeah, it's insult evolved. more than anything at <clears throat> yeah. this point. But. I think it's a funny one to watch. I mean, woke to me would be like somebody who's like self-actualized, too, yeah. who practices gratitude and, and 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 in the moment, every moment is you know somebody who's really truly self-actualized. And it doesn't seem to be that though. It seems to be quite the opposite now. I think it's, it's a lack of humility, yeah. and, and that and and that's one of my criticisms of organized religion is I think when you have a hierarchy like that it's very difficult when you're at the top of that hierarchy to be humble because you have all these people that are looking up to you and, and, and to not drink your own Kool-Aid and, and think that you've made it becomes more difficult the more you have people praising you for your progress. And and this is, that's a really tough thing to advert, like not fall prey to. Mm-hmm. Um, because I understand that, that a lot of their enthusiasm for being like, oh my God, like this is... I wish everybody could could experience this and get where I'm coming from, but you know, you have to understand that you're still on a, it's a it's a never ending journey, really. Yeah. And, and inevitably, you're probably going to be embarrassed by a lot of things ten years from now as well. And yeah, I hope I'm always okay. more embarrassed. I hope I'm always embarrassed by myself, like looking back. Yeah, yeah, or totally. even like one year ago. I yeah. mean, it's one of the things that I think is scary about starting a podcast. <laughs> it's like yeah. now there's documented proof about how embarrassing I was five years ago. Yeah, but then we're, we're still going to have a podcast five years from now, and uh, everyone can follow along with how much more awesome we've become. No, seriously. I mean, we talk about this a bunch. I mean, it's, I mean, I think it's a beautiful thing. No, I really love looking back and being embarrassed by myself. It's just, it, and, and the more recently I've been embarrassed by myself, the more that's like a point of pride. I'm just like, well, look at, look at how I'm able to keep my mind open and change and, uh, you know, always become hopefully less embarrassing. But, uh, yeah. And recognize, our capacity for just being a damn fool sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Uh, what is your favorite thing about yourself? 
It's a good question. Um, I think maybe if there's one, if there's something that I that I love about myself is that I can tell myself that I'll be okay, and I can listen to that. Um, you know when times are hard times are hard all around you know that I can know that you know okay I've say my first rodeo you know I've been through other kinds of suffering before and I'll be okay and hopefully grow from it another thing my mom always told me is that there's no growth without suffering you know and inevitably those things come up you know people say like talk about me running around and living in other places and doing uh i don't know I, i've been i've been incredibly lucky with the opportunities that have fallen out of the sky into my lap um but like with you know anything in life you know we're not here to be good and we're not here to be happy we're here to be whole and all the bad stuff and uh, the sorrow and the suffering, the anger, and all the things that you know we think we leave behind when we go, when we go off, we we carry it with us, and I carry it within me. Um, but being able to keep that perspective, I think of I'll be okay. You know, maybe it's not okay right now, and there's no way around whatever this is that I'm going through. The only way is through it, but. I trust myself to be okay when I get to the other side of it. There's no single moment that's unendurable. I can do this. I think that trust that I that I put in myself is the thing that I love the most about myself. That's beautiful. It's a superpower. A couple of cliches it brings to mind are growth and change happen when you're uncomfortable and this too shall pass. <laughs> this is not the end. <laughs> I think you'd like my dad's episode. Check that out. Well, he talks a lot about finding success and failure. What is your most embarrassing story before age ten? Ooh, before age ten, or like before puberty? Just a young story. Young story. God, I've got so many embarrassing stories. More recent. <laughs> okay, you can throw. Why don't yeah, we start okay. with one of those? Or? see where it takes us. Okay, I've got two. I've got, I'll, I'll let you, these are the two probably most embarrassing things I think that I've ever done, and so I'll let you guys decide. Okay? <laughs> I've either got a story involving sweet potatoes <laughs> or a story involving a hedgehog. A hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> Snap answer there. Hedgehog. Hedgehog. Okay. Well, um, so on Christmas Day in New Zealand, I believe it was 2015, um, I got irresponsibly intoxicated. Uh, you know, Christmas in New Zealand, it's summertime, and so we had this big we barbecue. We were just there for Christmas in New oh, Zealand. Oh, it's a beautiful place for Christmas. It's <laughs> yeah. really nice. It's very different from back home. Very but we had a big barbecue, and I was cooking up for everybody, me and a couple guys making power patties and, you know, just cooking up a whole mess of things, and it was lovely. But I also went through somehow two bottles of Jameson 
that day. Holy shit. Surely it wasn't all me, but that being said, I don't remember much of sharing either, so I don't know. But anyway, the point is that uh, <laughs> I was walking home. Um, walking is a generous term for what I was doing. Um, locomoting back home. And I found... Uh, I looked down and I I saw like a little juvenile hedgehog oh on the side of the road. This is and it was like, adorable. Are they to yeah, they're all over the place there. What? Yeah. How did we not yeah. know that? Are you yeah. kidding and, me? And, and I'd like to preface this by saying that this was not a pet. <laughs> this was a wild rodent. Okay. This uh, is like finding like a so like a like right a squirrel now. or a rat or whatever. Yeah. And, but it was adorable. It was an incredibly cute little hedgehog. Have and you I, been to the Hedgehog Cafe in Chiang Mai? No, I haven't. No, oh my god, it's like one of the highlights of my <laughs> life. I know, but I I carry so much shame. <laughs> uh, okay, go on. Surrounding hedgehog. Uh, well, anyway, so I found this I'm hedgehog, <laughs> and I I gathered him up into my arms, and um, he didn't roll up into a ball. I think that honestly, you know, just you know, at the time I was anthropomorphizing this hedgehog and i was like oh my god we've developed this instant bond it's love at first sight <laughs> yeah. in retrospect he was probably just so full of terror that he was completely paralyzed and couldn't move but i i gathered this hedgehog up into my arms and i'm um you know i'm sort of like rocking him oh. and uh cradling him and whispering sweet nothings into his ear and telling him like i'm gonna uh, you know i named him sonic i wasn't i wasn't feeling very creative at the time i guess uh, my mind wasn't working that well and I um uh I said I'm gonna take you home and I'm gonna find you a, like a nice little shoebox or or hopefully larger habitat for you to live in with all the things that you'll ever need and I carried him back home with me. I was even thinking like how am I gonna bring this thing home to the states? Yeah. You know, I was thinking real long term here. Aww. You know, it was, love it, was it was, and I was really like projecting like this whole our life together. Yeah. You know, I had this montage in my head. You know, like us running through I'm Amber right Fields to Grain and all these oh, things. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, I get back and to my to my house, and I get into bed and I swaddle this hedgehog up in a blanket and lay him right next to my head and uh, and promptly passed out and i guess the last thing that i googled before i went to sleep was what to feed a baby hedgehog and then i woke up at maybe 7 30 in the morning still drunk for sure and uh just kind of the smell hit my nose and i was sniffing and my eyes were still closed and they you know sort of blearily open and i looked around and there's all of these perfect little like emoji swirly pyramids of poop all over my room everywhere like like all over my carpet all over my bed on my pillow been there it was unbelievable there was like like i don't know how much how it all fit inside this little hedgehog there was yep. more shit than hedgehog yeah yeah scattered yeah. over my room you know like i don't know where the mass came from you know and honestly, my first thought was like, oh, my God, I have to go see a doctor. <laughs> this is really bad. It's not natural. I'd totally forgotten about the hedgehog. And you thought it was you? I didn't know. <laughs> I, I just I had no idea what was going on. I considered the possibility, clearly, because I remember thinking, <laughs> that ain't right. I'd forgotten about the hedgehog entirely. And I and the hedgehog, Sonic. I uh, had crawled into my pillowcase 
overnight. And like, I started to sort of like heave myself out of bed. And I guess when I moved, I scared him and he rustled and like, you know, I felt like these little like pinpricks on the back of my neck and I must've jumped like 10 feet out of bed. Uh, Into a, a whole bunch of shit. No, but like into a landmine, uh-huh. you know, like a field full of <laughs> landmines. I had to be really careful hopping around there. And and then I looked down and Sonic just very innocently crawled out of the pillowcase. And, you know, again, maybe I'm humanizing him too much, but looked at me like, what did you expect, dude? <laughs> what did you really think was going to happen? So I had to let him go. And then I had to spend most of my morning on Boxing Day cleaning up a tremendous amount of hedgehog waste. <laughs> so that's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to me recently, I think. I think it's more embarrassing for Sonic than it is for you. <laughs> Sonic was just doing what he had to do, man. It's a natural defense mechanism. I put him there. How did I accept full responsibility for this. Carpet and then back up onto your bed. It's a great, yeah. it's an yeah. excellent question. Yeah, I was an un- back to snuggle. Yeah, <laughs> just an incredible. <laughs> I, for me, like how he did that is secondary to the question of how could he possibly have shit that much all over my room. Uh, this motherfucker's going to pick me up and take me home. I'm going to shit all over the place. Yeah, I mean, he was he must have been a hollow husk of a hedgehog <laughs> by the time I put him. He must have been hungry when I put him back out there. It was really bad. So We've been there with Chewy. It's, it's oh been a couple God. times where it's just, yeah, defied walls of science. Yeah. How you're so tiny. How is there this much shit? I yeah. c- it's incomprehensible. It is. And usually the nicer the place we're staying, yeah, the more he will shit. Yeah, it's proportional yeah. to how much money we're paying to stay where we are. Naturally. The more shit he has inside of him. And, uh, yeah. This is way too nice. <laughs> yeah. 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 Spruce the place up. A bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, God. Uh, what is the book that has most influenced your life? Influence, 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 not favorite. That's a great question, too. I don't know. The first books my mom ever read to me, my little brother, when we were kids, to all of us really, was The Hobbit and The Chronicles of Narnia. And there's a lot of great lessons in both of those that I've carried with me, I think. Um, and also just wonderment <laughs> and uh, being able to see the fantastic in life and imagine those things at least, consider that. You know, those two, th- those have, I've carried with me a long way. But I think another another one that, you know, was inspired, by, like the thesis that I wrote for my undergraduate degree, and, and I think speaks to a lot of things that we've been talking about today is, uh, All the Kingsmen by Robert Penn Warren. That's one of the most beautiful books I've ever read. It is just, it's amazing. And there's a quote in it that um, I find really relevant to my life, which is, uh, if you're going to fuck a monkey, you should fuck it till you get No, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, <laughs> you're so serious. <laughs> it's um, what we students of history inevitably learn is that people aren't good or bad. They're good and bad. And the good comes out of the bad, and the bad comes out of the good, and the devil take the hindmost. 
And uh, yeah, that's something that, you know, being able to see, it, I, th- I think it really goes back to a lot of things that we've spoken about these last couple of hours that, you know, seeing those shades of gray and seeing the middle and seeing the capacity for both um, and not fitting people into one category or the other. Um, even though it's so easy to do that, it's so easy to make characters out of people, villains or good guys or whatever, to see that there's both um, is something that really changed the way that I look at people and the patience that I have for people and with myself, you know, and the forgiveness I have for other people and myself, you know. So that's a great book. Highly recommend that one. Okay. I think a lot of times it's easier to forgive other people and it's not always the true of forgiving yourself. Mm-hmm. It's an important lesson to learn. Mm-hmm. You're a person too. <laughs> yeah. What life practices do you do to keep yourself sane and balanced? What if I'm not feeling very sane or balanced <laughs> at the moment? Uh My alone time. Alone time? Yep. It's my solitude. Reddit holes? Reddit holes is one, or just sitting down with a coffee somewhere and staring off into the middle distance or reading or, you know, noodling around on the guitar for a little bit. And just doing it by myself keeps me sane and keeps me balanced. It's crazy how much background reflection uh, is going on when I'm, even if I'm reddit holding or something yeah. like that how much sort of maintenance work i think is being done on myself when i have an hour by myself in the morning it's really important for me so like when you're traveling with your girlfriend or other travel partners do you how, how do you feel of the concept of like being alone together like off in your own separate worlds in physical proximity or is physical distance a necessary ingredient for you uh it's still important camila when she hears this is going to laugh because yeah, she's, you know, it's something that, that I make really clear, you know, that I, you know, I say sort of at the forefront, like, Hey, listen, I, I really like you. I like spending time with you in Camila's case. It's more like, I love you with all my heart. You're my darling. Um, and there's nobody I'd rather be here with to spend time with, you know, but I need that hour in the morning. I have to have it. If I don't have it, then it's, I'm going to be cranky and, Bad partner. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be a bad partner. Exactly. I'm going to be a better partner by having that hour. You know what I mean? And that all, uh, you know, even having that this hour this morning before I came down here to meet with you guys was a good way to sort of charge my batteries a little bit before having this conversation. Um, I need it. It's really, really important to me. And it's something that, you know, can seem, especially to someone like Camila, who needs a lot of cuddles in the morning which I totally respect and is a valid need. Camila, if you're listening to this, I adore you. Um, but it's it's something that I have to have um, in order to stay remotely sane or balanced. Do you take, is that physical distance or just quiet? No, just quiet. Just different. Yeah. Different just spaces. my own space. Yeah, just yeah. different spaces. It could be us laying in bed in the morning and each of us reading her book. Um, yeah, it's not like get away from me. Yeah. It's not that by any means, you know, it's more just like, 
I'm going to need to, I'm just going to be in my zone for a little bit. What is the most environmentally friendly thing you do and the main environmentally friendly thing you want others to do? Oh, y'all go out and plant some trees. <laughs> <laughs> Visit conservenaturalforest.org slash donate and offset your carbon footprint. Am I allowed to plug things on of your podcast? Please. We will put that encouraged. link on our website. So either go there directly or go to our website if that's easier for you. My man. And, uh, you know, make it up to pie and put that on your itinerary. Yes. Love y'all's work. That's what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, as far as like things I do on a day-to-day basis, if I'm not at Conserve Natural Forest, I mean, that's the work that I do and that I really enjoy. Uh, but I think it's not just me. Um, if I'm being really honest, I think the thing that I do, that I try to do as often as I can that I would recommend other people doing is just learning more about it. I think the more that you learn about it, the more you learn about how you can what sort of impact you can have and where impact is needed most. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about doing this work on an individual level, and that's incredibly important, reducing consumption, not using your dryer or using your car less, carpooling, taking a bus instead of flying. Like there's, you know, there's all those things, and that's great. You know, also learning that 71% of carbon emissions come from 100 companies in the world, you know, and learning where to write your congressman or your political representative and where to focus your aim, uh, where the work is needed most. It's about education. That's the most important thing. It's just about teaching yourself. There's so much information that's available. Um, there's so much that independent research that I've benefited from and has, you know, really helped me along my, this professional path that I'm, that I'm working toward, that I'm still working toward, but you know, um, there's so much information out there that is free and reputable and peer-reviewed and sound and um that's what i recommend that's the thing that has by far been the greatest benefit for me and that i think would help other people too so if let's say for example that you just want to understand where your carbon footprint is and where it comes from if you go on our website conservenaturalforest.org you go to our donate tab. It's not you don't don't even worry about giving us money. You know what I mean? Just go there, go to the carbon calculator that we have embedded there. It's really good. If you're in the states, if you're listening from the states, then use the one that's provided by the EPA. It's actually it's the most accurate one that there is in the world. It's incredible. And it's going to take you guys about 10 or 15 minutes and you're going to have to know a lot of information about, you know, what is the power source for your house? Is it coal, oil, gas, whatever it may be? What part of the country do you live in? Um, what kind of car do you drive? How old is it? Uh, what kind of engine does it have? All kinds of things, you know what I mean? But if you can gather all this information and understand exactly what your carbon footprint is and the best ways to reduce it, you know, um, and there's so many things when we're talking about consumption, it's not about just CO2 and CO2 equivalents. We're talking about plastic consumption. We're talking about, you know, buying 100% cotton versus polyester and all the microplastics that end up in the ocean every time that you wash your clothes or things like that. You know, <laughs> there's so many, there's so many things to learn about. It's such an incredibly vast and complicated and multifaceted topic. It's, it's, it's amazing. Like, trust me, like if y'all want to talk about like rabbit holes to go down, that w- that is the one the gift that keeps on giving if you like learning about this sort of thing and you know the thing is that there's just so many different ways to tackle it and carbon offset is one of them um 
But, you know, when we're planting trees, we're not just offsetting carbon. We're restoring biodiversity. We're improving watershed quality, water yield, water flow, um, providing jobs for the local community and stimulating the local economy, uh, increasing crop yield and agroforestry, silvio-pastoral work. There's a ton of – there's so many benefits to learn about. There's so many exciting things to learn about. And it's, and it's, I find it to be a, a much more enriching experience if we're talking about just trees in particular to walk through a forest. And instead of just seeing the forest, being able to see the trees too yeah. and think about what each of those trees is doing, what, what it's providing me, you know, why does the air smell so nice here? Why do I feel calm here? Why does this feel right? Um, and a lot of that's just, uh, there's, it's about education, I think. I'm always surprised by how many people answer to the question of what keeps them sane and balanced is being in nature. It's, there's just something so fundamental about it, about that experience of just being, hearing and smelling. All your senses are, are tingled by just being immersed in where we're naturally supposed to be. Being present and being connected. Yeah. It's, it's real being nice part out of there. something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's real nice out there. Highly recommend that too. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You really want to go to, is it Washington where they have the, the greatest amount of biomass? Oregon. Or, is it Oregon? Yeah. Oregon? Like, I, little, it, the pictures look like a fairy forest, just yeah. like green. Oh, are we talking about the greatest amount of biomass per like acre, acre? for yeah, example? Yeah. yeah, that's so that's, there is, so it's the temperate rainforest in the Pacific Northwest. So if you go to like Olympic National Park and you get up into like the Ho or the Quinault Rainforest, though, that is unbelievably beautiful it is a fairy tale it really is a fairy tale and uh yeah for me living in portland yes portland the city's great don't get me wrong it is ridiculously green there yeah super green but oh my the pacific northwest is the most beautiful part of the country for me for that reason one of the most beautiful parts of the entire world yeah it's amazing there Maybe the universe? (laughs) It really could be. It's a fucking nightmare out there off the earth. You know what I mean? It's just cold and dark and just a lot of floating rocks out there. Way less green. Yeah. It's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. This is some prime real estate we got here. Uh (laughs) This planet Earth. (laughs) Um, I've just been uh, thinking two Dr. Seuss quotes are really my go-tos whenever I'm talking about environmentalism and they seem particularly relevant to the last bit of conversation and that is uh, the more that you learn, the more that you know, the more that you read, the more places you'll go. And uh, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. He's a wise, wise man. Mm, that's the gospel right there. Mm-hmm. All right, and uh, coming full circle, why do people do small talk? Why do people do? Oh, yeah. Why do people do small talk? That is full circle. Um, people do small talk to connect with each other. You know, when we go through, it's uh, you know, despite everything that I said about the value of your solitude it's also really important to reach out to people and connect to people it's how we learn and how we grow and how we see other things and i think um even though we might disagree a little bit about the value of small talk um i think that there's a lot of merit to it that 
there's a lot of things that we can learn from it in little doses, you know, it might not be like a big, big gulp, but it's a, it's a small dose, but those add up. Um, and being able to be kind to and check in with strangers is something that I think we should all practice a little more. You're so good at it from the moment we met you. We've been like, oh man, that's like, that's a dude who knows how to connect with strangers. I mean, just like from the first moment we met you, we've reflected on like what exactly were you doing? Because we'd love to, you know, cultivate that, but, but we immediately felt seen and uh, like we mattered just from the way you addressed us. So like. Good I'd work. like to explicitly <laughs> affirm that y'all matter. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> y'all matter a lot. It's a beautiful place to wrap it up. All right. Anything else you want to say or plug or tell people to go do? ConserveNaturalForest.org. Mm-hmm. Carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. Plant a tree. Plant a tree. Read some books. Read some books. <laughs> say hello to a stranger. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I guess mostly thank you guys for having me here. This is really nice. Thank you so much for yeah, coming. Thank on. you for making the time. It's yeah. been a lot of fun. I think yeah, we've both been we've all been running around like headless chickens <laughs> trying to make this thing happen. It's pretty cool that we met up in the middle of paradise on Gilly Trawangan. <laughs> Not a bad place to do a podcast. Yeah, yeah there's worse venues. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. sure. Probably wouldn't have been bad either, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is great. And thank you guys so much. Really appreciate y'all having me. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we hope you enjoy the rest of your travels and thank you again for coming on. Working on a sign off. <laughs> have any ideas for like a sign off? Like, we play the end good night the and good song. luck. Oh, let's sing the theme song together. She's you want to start it. It's a great melody. It is. <laughs> you came up with it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I might be a bump, little biased. Bump, bump. Occasionally interesting. Occasionally interesting. They are occasionally interesting. Ah, what was Trevor's <laughs> bit? <laughs> we were gonna keep that in. We were we were originally recording it. Well, I think we're, we've been trying to like sort of make the illusion that um, that Mark's voice on the intro is Trevor. It's me and Trevor singing together. But and we and Jason tried to record Trevor singing it. But <laughs> Trevor <laughs> was a bit freaked out, and uh, we got a very nice recording of Trevor going occasionally. Ah! <laughs> and then Jason Sorry, edited it. Start in. on a certain beat. It's just complicated words. It is. It is, man. I, I, trust me. I know the feel. It'll make you pucker up. I get it. I totally get it. I think you sound fantastic. I loved it. That was lovely. <laughs> well, next time we're all back in pie together, we'd still have to go on a hike and have you yeah. show us. Yeah, yeah we've said that on every hike we've got on since then. Being like, I'm glad I go on a hike with Wes. <laughs> You gotta tell us what we these trees are, are up like, to. What do you think that tree is? <laughs> Neither <laughs> of us have any fucking clue. You keep asking one another, knowing <laughs> that the other person has no idea. I'll just make it up. I'll just start. I'll just start rattling <laughs> that works. Off Latin <laughs> names. That sounds good. Carciferous manifolufu. Yeah, exactly. It's my favorite tree. Yeah, it'd be like casting spells in Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Wingardium <laughs> Leviosa. Now you're speaking Trevor's language. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, bye. All right. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>